G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, wrapping up the month of June 2021. Dave, how are you? I'm not too bad, Rob. I'm coming to you from a hotel room in Canberra. And uh, I'll say at the start, a a very genuine thank you for um, working with me on my schedule this month, which has been um, very, very flexible and um, last minute So we've slotted this in and um, I'm very pleased we have. Well, it's probably the safest place to be because we're having a COVID outbreak in Sydney and there's been one in Melbourne. So you're you're halfway in between. It's probably the Look, best place to be. Ab- absolutely, and 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 I did get my uh, my travel approval to come up to Canberra for two weeks for work, and they they checked me through customs and immigrations at the state border, which is very strange. But um, wow. I'm, I'm doing it all legitimate. But no, I am I'm outside of the Melbourne outbreak and here in Canberra. Um, the Parliament's been sitting late every night this week, but I have found a slot to do the Doctor Who show because I uh, I love doing it. Fantastic. Well, folks, tonight our big topic is Big Finishes, The Holy Terror by Rob Shearman. We'll be doing a review of that. But of course, before we get to that, we'll have some news. We'll have some mini topics, all the good stuff. But I even have two things to do before that, Dave. Yes. And those things are, we've both had birthdays. Oh, we have. We have. The Gemini podcast has had birthdays. Yes. Mine, I I think mine had fallen a a day or two before our last episode went out. But when we recorded it, it hadn't happened yet. So it didn't get mentioned. Then yours happened a a week or two after mine. So yes, the Gemini podcasters have had their birthdays again and survived, which is good. We we have. And uh, speaking of anniversaries, I cannot fail to mention that, of course, June is the 30th anniversary of the Virgin New adventures so that's a big deal for me i've said before and i'm not going to go on but that was the part of the show of the series that perfectly spanned my teenage years growing up so when people say what was your era of the show that you grew up with for me Mm. it was kind of the new adventures so it's a big deal for me yeah, no, you were, you were very lucky with the timing of those. And of course, if people want to hear our thoughts on the new adventures, particularly Dave's, because he is very into them, uh, we did do an episode about three years ago now on them. We did. We did. Yeah, we did. The other thing I wanted to mention is that I always do podcast reviews at the top of the show. And we have a really short one, short and sweet here. It's called Great Podcast Five Stars. It's from Dr. Pertwee in Great Britain. This I wonder if he's in a relation. this came in on the 14th of june keep up the good work five stars runs the review so thank you dr pertwee if you're out there listening to us much appreciated and if you do want to write us a review people on on apple podcasts or any of the platforms out there really we'll find them and we'll read them out on the show yes you were my favorite doctor growing up mr pertwee and um i'm very honored to to get that from you (laughs) fantastic from beyond the grave um Let's move on to some news. I'll uh, kick off, Dave, because halfway through this month, I uh, I tweeted something about the 2022 annual not having Jodie Whittaker on the cover. This was something I just discovered. Apropos of nothing, I was looking, I was thinking, is the new annual coming out? You know, can it be pre-ordered? Looked it up, noticed she wasn't on the cover, and I, I threw this out there in a tweet, and some people said, oh my God, look at that. 15 hours later, it was in the Daily Mirror. Uh, their Doctor Who writer, well, she's not a Doctor Who writer, but she tends to write about Doctor Who, Nicola Methven wrote about it. And in that story, she also mentioned that Jodie Whittaker is, looks like 
to be doing our two specials in 2022. Now, Dave, I'm not suggesting the Daily Mirror picked up on our tweet by <laughs> any means, because later I saw some other uh, fans in the UK had been discussing it too, quite independently of me. But roughly about the same time, I think I must have just seen this cover at the time it dropped, and I had the same thought as some other people. But what I think was more interesting was uh, Methven's article mentioning these Whitaker specials, and instantly... I thought, you know what? Her contract was probably three years of 10 episodes. And with series 13 being eight episodes, I think these two specials are probably just the two contractual episodes that she owes the BBC. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. So a couple of comments on this whole news item. And the first is, look, I have no insight into whether Nicola is correct or not. But you know how sometimes you hear rumours and you go, that just doesn't make sense or it just doesn't fit with what we know or it doesn't fit with what we know, how we know companies operate? You hear this one and you kind of go, yeah, this has a feeling like it could be true. Like if somebody said to me right now, Jodie will do three series, two specials, and that will be it, uh, and, and taking into account everything you've said about you know likely contracts, I would go... Okay, that that sounds perfectly reasonable. That's a, that's a perfectly good run. That's a perfectly de- decent run. It, it it makes sense. So I don't know if it's true, but it is certainly believable. As far as the annual cover is concerned, when I first saw the photo, I thought it was one of those pictures they sometimes put on websites. You know, proper cover coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just like generic, you know, TARDIS on sparkly background. And I thought, okay, and it, it has. So all of this together has sparked a real. Even by Twitter standards, quite a meltdown, mm. um, which is saying something because you know Twitter <laughs> meltdowns pretty easily. But but it's it's got a lot of people going. Okay, this is probably true. It's got a lot of the Jody defenders and people who are fans of Jody and people who want to see Jody succeed. Going even her own annual in her own year, it doesn't get her on the cover. The mm. BBC isn't publishing her. The BBC isn't pushing her. You know what chance does she have? This is really unfair. Other people have said, you know, Jodie just hasn't had a fair chance. And I, I certainly have sympathy for the idea that BBC publicity hasn't pushed her the way they have other doctors. But I also, and we had this chat between us, Rob, and a couple of our regular listeners and regular fans who engage with us on social media. And I said, mm. look, I, I get what you mean by Jodie hasn't had a fair go, but at some point she'll have done three full series. Mm. A lot of doctors have made a lot more out of less. Like... I, I, I get Jodie's had problems, script problems and production problems and publicity problems, but at some point Jodie has to be accountable for her own work as well. I'm not saying she's good or bad, but, but you know, she is at the end of the day the Doctor and yeah. she is at the end of the day a, a Doctor for three series or will be by the time the one they've made now is broadcast. So, you know, it's not all about her, but it's not nothing about her. Uh, Rob, where are you on all this? Oh, look, I think there are fans who are very upset from the, the reaction that Jodie's had from, from certain parts of fandom, and they will always, always think she never had a fair go. But you're right, once you have three series in the can and some specials, if, if you're still not showing your stuff, even to people like you and me, Dave, who are certainly not not my doctor types, no, we, no. We, have, we have reviewed Jodie's episodes story by story, we've given her MVP of the week, several times so we're certainly not of that ilk but we're pretty underwhelmed so if we're underwhelmed there's people out there who are completely under they're not even watching anymore i don't think yeah i I think what we can say is that we have seen greatness in jody 
Mm. And we've seen good episodes. We've seen good moments. We haven't seen that consistency. And and to compare it to somebody like Davo, and, and look, I know Davo's your favourite, but he's, he's not mine. Mm. But but I genuinely respect any time you watch a Davison story, no matter how mediocre it is or what you know is going on behind the scenes, Davo gives a big 100% acting performance. Yeah. Um, Colin, you know, Colin had some terrible scripts, but Colin is never not on. You know, Colin <laughs> is always there. And uh, and I can't say the same about Jodie. It's a lack of consistency. I hope she brings better consistency in Series 3. As I say, I, I, I do feel for her. She's had not the best written era, and she's had poor publicity, I think. I genuinely think that is a fair criticism of the BBC. Yeah, I mean, people pull out moments, and I pull out moments too, where she's been phenomenal. Like, the whole, you know, this this isn't a flat structure, this team. You know, I'm at the top of the mountain on my own. Whatever, whatever that line was... She delivered that so well, and some, even some, someone, of her, some of her monologues from *Demons of the Punjab* I thought were amazingly good. Yeah, so she does have great moments, and people pull them out, and they say, "Yes, that that was a great moment." But in the rest of the story, what happened? You know, uh, and I I just think some fans don't want to see it; they just want to to love her, and that's fine. But you know, I I, th- I think for people like us who are sitting out here in the middle, and we we just want to review things on their merits, not just because we want to love Jodie, but we just want to review Doctor Who. Yeah, it's a bit lacking. Uh, you mentioned the the placeholder cover, perhaps, for that annual. Uh, a reader, a, a listener, rather, said that to me, and I said no, because here is the placeholder cover, and I actually had a JPEG of that. I said, this was the placeholder. This is actually the real cover. I know it looks a bit crap, but there it is. And just one more thing I want to say about specials. People might be thinking, oh, what do you mean, Rob? She owes two episodes in series 13, so, but wouldn't she be contracted to specials? I think specials are contracted normally in a different way. I think back to the 50th anniversary, Smithy had made series 5, 6, and 7, but there was that famous Moffat quote that he wasn't contracted for the 50th. You know, so I think Jodie might have made her three series and wouldn't be contracted for a special at the end of the year. Yet we are getting a special at the end of the year or early next year simply because she's missing episodes out of the series and and they're being made as specials. I don't think they were probably contracted as specials, at least to my mind. Look, that all makes sense. We are, of course, speculating. It could well be that Chibnall and Jodie have chatted and have long had a bit of a plan that the way to send out a Doctor is to do a couple of big specials. And and that's not a bad thing. That, That could be a good plan. Or it could just be serendipitous and they're going, well... We've kind of been, you know, messed around by COVID. We've lost a couple of episodes. Contractually, we've got the, you know, the budget or we've got the money or we've got the contracts. Mm. So let's let's do a big send-off. Or it could be completely false and Jodie will do... Well, it could be that there's no specials happening at all. That could be completely false. It could <laughs> be that she's doing season, Series 4. It could be that she's doing the Series 5 and 6. We don't know. We just have a feeling it's starting to make sense. If there are two specials, will they do it tenant style and she goes out on Christmas Day and New Year's Day? Or will she go out on New Year's Day and then maybe await until Easter? If it's, if it's a linked story, though, you'd think the episodes would fall one week after the other. I, I think that the way that the BBC publicity machine is not pumping a huge amount of time and money into Doctor Who, the idea of them ramping up for a series break, then a special break, then another special doesn't seem intuitive to me. I think they'll they'll mm. ramp up and do as much as they can in a amount of time. 
Yeah. Anyway, we've beaten that one to death. Shall we move on? Yeah, that's right. We're going to go back 50 years because uh, we have no news on new Blu-ray box sets coming out, but we have got an official announcement that a special edition of The Web of Fear is coming out with an animated episode three. A clip of that was shared on social media, and um, fans online were very reserved and careful and... um, speculative and uh, praising <laughs> in there. No, I like fans found fault with everything on it. Uh, I thought it was fine. I thought it was kind of in the middle of the ballpark of what animations have been in the past. I think it's good we're getting a big proper release of Web of Fear. I think it's a shame that this would indicate the BBC absolutely does not have episode three or feel mm. that there's any prospect of having episode three in the next little while uh, but yeah look I'm happy I thought it was fine there's all sorts of rumours out there as there always is I saw one I think it was on Twitter someone was saying the the animation is just a ruse Dave they have actually found the episode and they're going to pop it out and it's just going to be the complete story I thought oh you sweet summer <laughs> you know <laughs> I would I would like to believe that but the idea that they would eschew the publicity of a returned episode is just not credible Exactly right. <laughs> uh, moving on, we talked about Stephen Moffat making The Time Traveller's Wife in our last episode. Uh, he's actually making some more shows, and he's he's hooked in two ex-doctors uh, to, to help him. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. He's he set himself up making these two dramas simultaneously. I don't know how they correspond to making Time Travellers Life because they'd make three things. But basically, being an executive producer for Hartswood Films, they're making The Devil's Hour for Amazon, and uh, Peter Capaldi is going to be in that, as mm-hmm. well as uh, Jessica Rain, who people recall from Call the Midwife, but of course she's been in Doctor Who as, as well. So that's kind of a Doctor Who-y kind of thing. And then for Netflix, so he's making stuff for Amazon and Netflix. He's hedging his bets here, I think. He's making The Inside Man, and David Tennant is going to be in that. So I thought, this is interesting. You know, Moffat, he's not just making one show. He's making these other shows. He's working with Amazon. He's working with Netflix. And he's pulling in ex-doctors. It could be quite exciting stuff. Yeah, look, I've said before, I think that when Moffat is free from the pressures of having to churn out and manage an entire series and can just write and have fun and relax and chill. He writes extremely well. I think that Moffat writing what he wants to write in a relaxed way with a cast like that, that could be some really good stuff and I'm yeah, very keen to see that. Yeah, fabulous. Uh, the Time Fracture Doctor Who experience has opened and the Radio Times conducted a very detailed review of this sort of um, interactive play-type fan experience. Now, I'll read one paragraph from the middle of this review that I think sort of summarises all the thoughts. Stuffed with great Easter eggs, winning performances and fun characters, this should be the perfect secret cinema-style Doctor Who experience, but in practice. The impression is of an overstuffed story that can't be fully experienced in the time and space allotted, despite the best efforts of a talented cast. Two stars out of five. And Mm. the thing this reviewer says is that, look, the cast is great, the ideas are great, there's been money spent on it, it's it's really good, but it's a very sort of choose-your-own-adventure-type experience play that's a bit like an escape room sort of thing, and so... 
you're only there for about two, two and a half hours. And if you sort of make the wrong decision or go into the wrong room, you could get stuck in that one and not experience a whole lot of others. So, you know, you might miss the Elizabethan room or you might miss the Dalek room or you might miss the mm. Cyberman room or, 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 or whatever. Um, and he just said it was very, uh, very much made by fans and um, very sort of hard to really, you know, just come into as a casual viewer, perhaps. It's only one review. I'm sure we'll see more as it goes on. But it's very interesting that the show is doing this. And and you can't say that the show is getting no publicity and no interest when, you know, there is something like this going on. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I've seen people, again, on Twitter, because that's where I spend a lot of my time, you know, talking to other fans. I've seen people who have gone down to it. They've dressed up and and gone in their cosplay and and had a a, a great old time. They seem to quite enjoy it. So I'm sure it's a it's a quality thing. But again, maybe like us reviewing episodes here on the show, the Radio Times is looking at it with a more critical eye, not just oh I'm a fan and there's Doctor Who stuff happening. Oh, isn't it marvelous? Ten out of ten. You know, they're they're looking at it with this more critical eye, and that's quite interesting. It sounds like it's it could almost be designed because they want people to come back again and again, maybe to see the other. Uh, bits they don't, didn't do yeah that that did occur to me it reminds me of the choose your own adventure that netflix did a couple of years ago you know a lot of people sort of did that the first time went, went through and watched a story and then they sort of went back and right well now i'll make a different decision and try and get a different story or a different ending and and, and there were like lists going around the internet of like you know the 37 different endings to this this piece of television and people would try to find them all and yeah maybe people would go back multiple times like well i haven't been to that room how do i get to that room yeah that so, was a yeah. black mirror episode it, wasn't it it was yes it was yeah, I, I recall that because the app on my television is like a proprietary app, uh, not just one you, you download, and it wouldn't let me actually make choices. The, the show wouldn't actually run with the app that runs on my TV. So I got so annoyed with it, I never went and did it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I could have come in here to my study and, and did it on the computer or something, but uh, I didn't. So I still haven't done that, no. Ooh, fair enough. I'm sure yeah. we'll hear more about Time Fracture. Yes, I think so. Uh, look, that's the end of the news. And for many topics, we've only got two this month, uh, Dave. One from you, one from me. Um, I'm going to go first because uh, I put myself first on the run sheet. i got a slightly weird one I want to bring up, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, it's quite morose in some ways. Collections. People out there have collections. Uh, I dare say there's Doctor Who collectors in our audience, but people also collect other things. They collect stamps. They collect... Uh, well, just about anything, really, Beanie Babies, all sorts of things. What happens to collections these days when people pass on? Because I think real pop culture is only several decades old, really. We've never had this situation going back hundreds of years that people, ordinary people, had collections of things. I guess rich people often had collections of things. They'd have collections of paintings or collections of clocks or things. But the average person never really had a lot of stuff. These days, I look at fans online and they're like, look at this shelf of stuff, you know, like plastic figures or something. Uh, And I think that's great. You get pleasure from that. Wonderful. I've got a lot of stuff here myself, so I'm certainly not looking down on them. But I'm wondering what happens when they go. And do the people who are left know what it's worth? (laughs) Does Does it get sold as a big lot? Does it get broken up? what happens to it i think we're now as people are aging the the uh the baby boomers are are going and you know gen x is getting older where is this stuff gonna go what actually happens to it you know because people have colossal collections of things dave 
Yeah, there's. I mean, I mean, there's whole generations now that have had proper disposable income for decades, for all their life, basically. So, yeah, look, it's a good question. I think in some cases, um, they are, shall I say, monetarily realised as life goes on, um, mm. or, or, or as you people you know downsize their houses or or change their accommodation circumstances. But you're right, there there are others, and 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 look, as Doctor Who fans, we are kind of hoping that there are people who have collected random bits of film over the last 50 <laughs> years and uh, and that when they pass on, their uh, descendants know what they've got and hand the, the Doctor Who episodes back to the BBC and don't just put bin them. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's an old question and I don't have the answer. Or will they, Dave? Or will they just go, oh, this was Dad's old films, like all these awful old black and white films, you know? They smell funny. I'm just going to throw them in the bin. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That doesn't bear thinking about. Absolutely. No, it's it's very, very possible. (laughs) There's there's, going to be, you know, complete sets of Target novels that are just going to be chucked in the bin when, you know, they clear out Granddad's house one day. Yeah, all these things that mean so much to to us because they're our things or, you know, they're things we've collected later in life and they mean a lot to us because they're from a, a show we like, like Doctor Who, for example. Yet they're quite meaningless to other people. And as as I get older, <laughs> I'm starting to realise this and thinking, gosh, collecting is an interesting game. Look, I know somebody who has two of the Doctor Who show bags from the Royal Melbourne show in the early 80s, including the Icy Pole uh, that has been kept <laughs> in a freezer for 40 years or thereabouts. If no, absolutely, really? Absolutely. And um, I very much doubt that... Um, when the time comes, hopefully many years' time, uh, that somebody's going to be carefully preserving that Doctor Who icy pole from the 1980s. Or accidentally eating it. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> anyway, I didn't want to dwell on that, but that was just a, a, a weird random topic I wanted to throw up this month. You know, maybe people out there have got thoughts on it and they could tell us their thoughts. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, look, one mini topic from me as well, as you did uh, mention in our introduction Rob Melbourne did go into a very hard lockdown for a couple of weeks there followed by a softer lockdown and so there's been a lot of time to just watch television particularly as it's the middle of winter you know middle of winter nowhere to go can't leave your house so I have been doing a lot of watching of television Doctor Who and non-Doctor Who and I'll talk about the non-stuff later on but I realized I actually haven't sat down and watched a whole bunch of the Troughton animated episodes and in fact most of the stories that I've sat down to watch were still in their shrink wrap when I came to do it so I have actually been working my way through all of these so I started with Power of the Daleks uh, the, the the special edition which was still in the shrink wrap the, the first one I had watched some of uh, but I watched that and, and look I actually really enjoyed it once I got into the mentality of watching the animations and had kind of set my brain to sync with that I actually found it much more enjoyable than I have in the past. And look, I enjoyed Power of the Daleks. The animation, I think, did help because there are a lot of characters in Power of the Daleks who are all, for the most part, men aged 30 to 45 and kind of sound the same. So actually actually seeing all of these people on screen with faces actually did did help the story and so I, I thought that was quite good although the plot is still a mess and mm-hmm. evil is far superior in my, my, my view I, I know it's trendy to say power is a better story now but I'm still an evil fan uh, The Underwater Menace this is the first time I've watched this since I saw a bootleg copy of The Found Episode 2 uh, about 8 or 9 years ago um, yeah. it was certainly a positive experience to watch the reconstructed parts 
one, the recovered part two and three, and a reconstructed part four. Uh, I do think that episode two is easily the best of that story, and it does help, but it's still a very poor story, and by mm. episode four, it really, really goes downhill, um, which is a shame. Uh, the moon base I have watched a couple of times before, but uh, again, I was trying to work through these in order. I thought that is by far the best of these animations at the moment. Episode 3, which is animated, I think is the best of the episode, and so that adds a lot to the experience of watching the moon base, but that's a great story. The Macra Terror. Look, I've always liked the Macra Terror ever since I listened to the cassette of the soundtrack the BBC <laughs> released in the early 90s. Uh, wow. I, I enjoyed being able to watch this. This is one, though, that's very interesting, and I want to just pause on this one for a moment, Rob. Yeah. Because I think the animation here does take a lot of liberties. Now, I kind of understand the position they were in. Like, do you realise the macra to a uh, in a manner that is loyal to the way that they actually would have appeared on film, which is basically a great big lump of rubber that was sort of backed up on a ute with a couple of you know a guy inside it with a couple of claws, um, yeah. and you know some you know eyes that flashed to, to, to you know on and off to make it look like they're blinking. No, they haven't done that. So they've made the macro a bit more realistic. I think some of the sets they've made a bit grander. Some of the model work they've mm-hmm. made a lot grander. And uh, we had a we had a good discussion again with some of our regulars on Twitter. Um, some of whom said, "No, this is great. You have this opportunity. Go and do big stuff and make it look like an awesome piece of sci-fi. Who mm-hmm. who wants accurate realism?" And I was like, "Well, I kind of do. Um, you know, if I'm watching an animation of this and trying to experience it, I, I want it to be as close to the real experience." As possible, but it was an interesting concept. What do you reckon, Rob? Have you watched the Macro Terror? I have, but what you were just saying then begs begs a question. You know, if you wanted to be as close as, as possible to realism, are you watching the ones that come in colour and black and white as black and whites, or do you watch them in colour if available? No, I watch them in black and white. Do you really? I do, yes. I watch the colour ones. Oh, there you go. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do actually. Uh, but but have I seen the macro chair? Yeah, I don't. I don't particularly like the story, so I'm probably not the best person to comment on it <laughs> because my my thoughts on the uh, the more modern sort of animation where they cut corners by making the little puppets that they sort of animate is is well known on this channel. Yes, and I don't particularly like the story. I mean, it's it's okay, and it is look, it is ultimately a good way to see these things than just listening to audio or looking at telly snaps with audio. Of course it is. But I'm still not enamoured by most animations. Uh, yeah, so look, the, the, the last one that I have watched, and I haven't finished, obviously, was The Faceless Ones. I finished that whilst I was in my hotel over the last few days. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. I, I've always quite liked The Faceless Ones, but this is one that really did step up a gear watching the animation because... Okay, episodes one and three we have been found. We've sort of seen that. Seeing episode two did add a bit more context to the story, and yeah, that was nice. But the mm. story really does take a whole different direction in the back half once they actually start to go to the alien space station and the plane becomes a spaceship. And, and it, mm-hmm. it does bring a whole lot of stuff in there. So being able to watch that and appreciate a lot more what this story would have looked like at the time did raise the faceless ones in my, uh, in my estimation. Yeah, well, that's a story, conversely, that I've always liked because of the Target novel that I read back in the 80s. I always thought that story was perfectly, perfectly fine. And so to, to finally see it like that, I was quite, quite happy with that one. Yeah, so look, overall, a very positive experience. Uh, I will keep going. 
I'm deciding now if I'm going to redo the Ice Warriors or not, because I have seen that before, but I, I think mm. I will. And then ultimately I want to end with Fury from the Deep, which is the most recent animation I haven't had a chance to watch yet. So there will be a part two of Trout and Animations in our uh, July episode. Mm. Very, very good. Well, that wraps up the mini topics, which means we're moving on, Dave, quite quickly to our <laughs> to our premiere event of this episode. Which is the Holy Terror. Yes, yeah, so we don't talk about Big Finish much on this show, so we're going to have a, a quick generic talk to start. We'll probably wrap up with a bit of a generic talk, but we put out there four Big Finishes for us to watch. I picked two purely based on, oh, I'd like to hear that, Doctor, and that looks like a cool monster and a good cover. I'll put that on. And was fairly quickly torn apart by people who know what they're talking about. And I think the results reflect that. You, on the other hand, Rob, know a bit more about Big Finish and were a bit more canny in your picks. And, yes. um, you know, landslide win to you um, with first and second place. But I'll let you do the results. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, we, we had well over uh, 100 votes, which was great because I know not everyone listens to Big Finish. I've certainly been spruiking it, though, on the channel saying, look, this is this is for free on Spotify if you want to go and listen to it. So hopefully some people out there have taken the chance to listen to it on Spotify. Uh, although I think we might have even found some new listeners through putting that poll out there because people certainly got involved. The Holy Terror one with 39.6, that was my first pick. That's, that's, not, second, a bad set of, that's not a bad vote for you know, a four-way race. I know, but the second one of mine, The One Doctor, got 36.8, so it wasn't very far behind. No, no. Uh, which means, Dave, uh, that Return of the Crotons, which you picked, 16%, and Planet of the Witches, which I think several people were saying, that is just awful. Why would you pick that? <laughs> <laughs> and quite rightly, you're saying, well, I, I've not heard it. I, I just thought it looked good. Got 7.5%. <laughs> Yes, so look, if I'm tempted to go and listen to some of the uh, Tom Baker season 18 stories, I won't start with Planet of the Witches. No, uh, I would not probably listen to that at all. <laughs> no, so the Holy Terror did win. Yes. So, where shall we start? Perhaps some thoughts, you know, rough thoughts on Big Finish, our first memories of it, and, and all of that, just to set the scene for people who've not heard us talk about Big Finish, because we don't really talk about it all that often. Yeah, so look, I can certainly remember being in fandom in July 1999 when yeah. when The Sirens of Time came out. And I, I was thinking about why I didn't get into Big Finish at the time. And, and I've actually got four reasons that I came up with. And the first was simply that I was sort of moving out of fandom by that stage. The telemovie had happened in 96 and that had flopped in, in, a, in, a, in a commercial sense. There was no new series. Um, the Virgin books had sort of moved on um, or, or had gone. Um, and I was sort of getting out of organised fandom to a certain extent. Mm. Reason number two, they were expensive. By the yeah. time you got them out to Australia, you were talking at least the price of a proper DVD, if not more, uh, which didn't appeal to me very much at all as a uni student at the time. Uh, one of the big things was I had nowhere to play them in that my car at the stage only had a cassette player. And the only way to put a CD on cassette was to sit there and actually, you know, in real time, have it play out, make sure you change the tape over to the, you know, and every, all the rest of it to the right side. And when you're talking a two hour plus big finish CD, that's, a, that's you know, three or four sides of tapes. 
Oh, I was fancy, Dave. I had one of these adapters, which was shaped like a cassette. Oh, and you would plug yes. that in, and a wire came out of it, and you plug the wire into like a uh, a Discman or something, you know, Sony uh, Discman, and uh, away you went like that. Uh, yes, Richard actually had one of those very briefly at one stage. But look, so, so like even driving around, I didn't have the ability to play CDs, so I would spend mm. a lot of money on something that I, you know, couldn't play in the car. Uh, and and the other thing just was simply my friends weren't into it, so yeah. I, I I kind of didn't get into Big Finish at the time. And the first Big Finish I heard was actually Spare Parts, and I remember that that was June two thousand and four because a bunch of us went up to Mildura for uh, the wedding of the man who would become Rob from 42 to Doomsday. And um, it's a six-hour drive each way from Melbourne to Mildura. And mm. on the trip back, one of the guys in the car, because we, you know, we're all friends from you know Doctor Who fandom, he said, hey, I've got this CD of this spare parts story that like everybody's raving about. You know, this will kill two hours of the trip. Let's, let's listen to it. So that was my introduction to Big Finish. Uh, I've dipped in and out since then, but before I talk about what I have listened to, Rob, were you around? Were you listening to Big Finish in July 99, or did you yeah. come to it later? Uh, well, it's interesting, because that's where you were getting out of fandom, whereas I was getting back into fandom. Mm. That's where I was sort of coming in with EDAs and things like that. And I was very intrigued by the idea of Big Finish. I was one of those weird kids, at least in Australian terms, who understood audio drama. You know, it's a much bigger thing in the UK. Yeah, it is. You know, I think like on radio and stuff, people will, will still listen to audio dramas. Whereas here, it's not been a thing probably since, God knows, the 50s maybe or something like that. You know, I think it rapidly fell away in Australia after a while, probably once TV came in. But when they first came out, Mark, my friend, who was our local fan club president, not the New South Wales club, but like the local area club, I mean, our, our local area club hadn't existed at that time for maybe six or seven years, but he got some in and I said to him, how is it? You know, what's it like? And he said, well, it's not very good. And I was like, <laughs> oh, and that kind of colored my opinion when I sat down. I went over to his place one weekend, probably or a Friday night or something. And I sat down, and listened to the sirens of time. And I thought, yeah, you know, it's it's actually not that good. And that kind of colored my perception a great deal now more recently i'm doing the great journey to listen to every monthly release i've mentioned this on the show before and i've got to say at least half of the first 10 aren't that great at all mm. you know even listening to them now with more mature ears no pressure on me to to like them or dislike them just a completely open mind i found half of that first 10 to be like Oh, God, that's terrible. But then Big Finish goes on this wild tear for the next 20 or 30 releases, and most of them are really, really good. But I wasn't to know that. So I listened to these early ones, and I thought, mm, I'm not into this. But what really got me into Big Finish was them signing McGann. I think by the following year, you've got McGann putting out stories. And I had really liked his Doctor in the TV movie. I thought the TV movie was horrible on the whole, but he was brilliant. Yeah. And I wanted to hear more from him. So just like you got into the NAs, this is going to continue Sylvester's story. And I had been reading EDAs. Now it was like, oh my God, I can actually hear McGann do stories. So I bought every single McGann release on CD right up to the point of the box sets uh, that started coming out whenever they started coming out. So I have got dozens of McGann stories here on CD and I listened to all of those and I thought he was a great and fabulous doctor but it wasn't until this more recent great journey 
that I've really started deep diving into the Collins stuff and the Sylvester stuff and, of course, Davo. I'd heard a few Davos, but broadly, I've been hearing in the last few months stuff I've never heard before, and some of it is very, very good. Yeah, it's very interesting that you say that, because I can certainly remember Paul McGann signing to Big Finish being a big deal, even though I was very out of fandom by that stage. But it's, it's funny you mentioned the Sirens of Time, because whilst I totally understand they wanted to make a splash with this big multi-doctor story with Davo and Colin and Sylvester, I must admit looking at the cover of that and going... Okay, so this is just fan fiction then, and maybe a bit of fan wank too. Like, okay, let's have a mm. multi-doctor story. Like, th- that was totally the wrong vibe to get cynical nineteen-year-old me in at the time. <laughs> oh, look, I, I look at the uh, the Doctor Who comics they've put out in recent years, and it seems every second issue they're doing some sort of multi-doctor thing. <laughs> I get cynical about that, so it still goes on. So, look, anyway, I did sort of come to Big Finish and, and picked it up, my. What have I listened to? What have I enjoyed? So look, no no shock. I have loved and bought, I think, all of the Virgin uh, adaptions, and some of them have been really, really good, and I've I've loved them, and uh, listening to both New New Adventure and Missing Adventure adaptions has been a lot of fun. I think that the things that I have mostly gravitated towards in Big Finish have been things that have a tangible link to the series I know. So Mm. adapting Virgin novels is is one example. Adaptions of The Lost Season 23 I bought all of. Uh, Some were really good. Some were very interesting in that they were a adaption that let me hear a story that itself wasn't good but it was adapted well some were terrible um Mm. there's one that was so compromised hollows of time where like it's meant to basically have the master in it and they couldn't have the master and they couldn't have the master's tardis so they had a guy who's kind of like the master in a car that's kind of like the master's tardis that can dematerialize for no apparent reason and it's like (laughs) it was just so compromised you go guys no uh, you, you know, you shouldn't have done this. And, and you, you listen to the doco at the end of it and, and, and somebody says to Colin, like, you, you realise this guy was like a substitute master and Colin's like, have you, have you recorded this story? You know, Colin's like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that wasn't the best. But again, really interesting. Um, the same with the season 27 adaption, which I know you and Mike Solko talked about once when I, I was on holiday. I, I enjoyed most of them. I've enjoyed the adaption of the plays, Curse of the Daleks especially. Like, I, I get to hear Curse of the Daleks, a play from 1965 that I mm. otherwise wouldn't hear. But I have dipped in and out of the monthly ones, and usually it's been because there's been a hook like, oh, that's a prequel to The Talons of Wing Chiang. That's a prequel yeah. to Snake Dance. That's a sequel to Robots of Death. And often probably walked away disappointed because I wanted them to be closer to the original that I knew on the other hand the standout that I can remember listening to is Blood Tide which is a Colin Baker original and that I went into with no expectations and actually have very good memories of so that's really where I've been with Big Finish I've I've dipped in Uh, I've I've listened to a couple of the Toms you know when when Tom came along I said well I'll listen to one of his ones with Mary Tam okay so that's what it sounds like oh he's doing one with Lala Ward I'll listen to one of the ones with Lala Ward oh so that's how Mm. that that sounds like and that's how that goes but I I haven't gone and bought the whole lot and the one thing I haven't done is Eddie McGann which is a big hole in my experience well before I get on to McGann I'll just say Blood Tide I think is is fabulous. I mean, you've got Charles Darwin, you've got uh, The Sixth Doctor with Evelyn Smythe. It's a, it's a great story. I mean, it does tread the, the ground that most Silurian stories tread. But yeah, that is a good one, Dave. Good call on that one. Oh, thank you. Uh, but what have I consumed and enjoyed? Um, 
well, like I mentioned, I've I've heard all the McGann. I I own all the McGann up to the up to the box sets. Then it starts to get a bit spotty because I I haven't been buying the box sets because they they're a much bigger purchase sort of price to begin with and so I've I've always been a bit standoffish with them I know some of them are really good but they seem to just throw them out there and I, I just haven't kept up with that but I've listened to all these monthly type stuff right in terms of the monthly range itself I'm heading into the 40s now so I'm you know I'm working between you know release 40 and 50 so I guess you know out of 275 that's not bad going so far and, and are these all first time for you or, or are there some that you have heard before when um, they came out mostly first time i'd say 80 percent first time yeah right because i have heard some random stuff especially from later on in the monthly range mostly davo type stuff yeah but i've listened to also a fair few um what would you call them side project type things like cyberman one and cyberman two you know which i thought were fantastic and and free of actually having to have the doctor in them they seem to be all the more interesting <laughs> for it you know do, do i go to a special doctor who hell for saying that i i don't know but no no i think it's a really good point because i've listened to a couple of the companion chronicles as well uh back before they started just recasting doctors so they could have earlier stories and you know there was one that was just maureen o'brien just telling a story about her life in troy after leaving the doctor and i thought that was a really sweet little story yeah, well, these these Cyberman um, miniseries are really good as well. Okay, I would recommend them to you. No, no qualms about it. Okay, I, I have occasionally looked at the covers of them and gone, I'd be really interested in listening to those. And then I've looked at the price to buy all of them and gone, eh, maybe when they're cheaper, which they probably are now. So that might be a good time to have a look. Oh, uh, yeah, there have been sales. They might have done a Cyberman theme sale a little while ago, and they were they were quite cheap during that. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, what we're here to talk about tonight is The Holy Terror, written by Rob Shearman. Let's talk about Rob Shearman a bit, because the first thing I think of when it comes to Rob Shearman, or Robert Shearman, he often calls himself Robert Shearman, I should say Robert, is that he's a lovely, lovely man. That's how he comes across. Yes. And do you know, Dave, he even retweeted our poll. We hadn't tagged him in the tweet. <laughs> He had, he had somehow found it. He doesn't follow us or anything, but he must have found it or someone tipped him off to it, and he retweeted our poll that had his story in it. So thank you very much, Robert. That's that's lovely. And, and given um, the winning margin was about three or four votes, could well have actually tipped the poll. Yeah, right. <laughs> Rob Shearman's own vote may have done that. Um, but look, just in general, when you see him, he seems to be very gentle, smart, kind sort of man you think yeah i could be mates with him you know and and of course the second thing i think of when i think of robert shearman is that he wrote dalek for eccleston's first series which in turn was based on jubilee which he'd written for big finish and speaking of big finish it is about 14 years i noticed since he last wrote for them and he never did any more tv doctor who he's one of those writers who this will sound terrible but not on rob by any means but I think he's good enough to get his own writing gigs and not have to write in someone else's universe because he is a real talent. Um, that's our loss in him not doing a lot of Doctor Who stuff these days, but it's literature's gain because he's done some remarkable stuff. He, he's done this series, three books called We All Hear Stories in the Dark, this massive three-volume thing where I think the, the, the theory is you can just read stories in any order, like just grab one, two, or three, take it off to the loo, read a story in any order. And you'll get a different experience once you've read through all the stories, if you read them in certain orders. 
anyway, that's just what I've heard. And I thought, that sounds amazing. I'll have to do that one day. So, uh, yeah, look, they're my thoughts on Rob Shearman. Lovely man and a real talent. Yeah, look, I agree with everything you've said. Uh, Dalek is one of my favourite New Who stories. I'm a big fan of his writing. Um, he, he, he does seem lovely in all the documentaries. Uh, he, he hosts a doco on the Space Museum DVD, which is really, really good, and he's really sweet about it. But, yeah, look, I think I think that you're right. He, he also, I think, is somebody who, once he's able to be his own master, really embraced being his own master. And I think he said one of the reasons why he didn't go back to writing TV, who was just that process of doing 47 drafts with all sorts of people looking over your shoulder was not for him a process conducive to being creative whereas yeah. locking yourself in your study and just writing a thousand page book that's you know between you and your editor does stimulate him as a creator so you know fair enough yeah well look this is where it gets interesting dave because i have heard this story before and i re-listened to it again for the for the episode you had never heard it before and we have not discussed this between ourselves so i literally have no idea as we get on to our first thoughts on the story what you may have thought of this whether you really liked it really loved it were indifferent to it i'm intrigued to know so i'm going to give you first bite on the cherry dave first thoughts on this story well rob i'm going to do this in a very particular way because mm-hmm. as i was listening to the story and taking some notes i made a, a a summary note at the end of each episode that's four episodes so i've got four notes here of how i was going through the story and i'm just going to read them to you and i'm going okay. to I'm, I'm going to say these are a starting point only yeah. uh, so part one some interesting ideas and characters but very slow 37 minutes is a long time for an episode it feels yeah. like a Collins story in many ways especially the sound and music and including the doctor not turning up for over 20 minutes yes part two i'm curious about what is going on and the acting is good interesting but it needs to shift up a gear fast Mm -hmm. part three much better exclamation mark both plots really going strong now some cool things happening elements of scary very keen to see how this ends yeah part four that wasn't too bad but is that it Really? Mm. So look, we will tease that out because this is this is just a starting point. I will say there are a lot of positive things about this. My overall experience was positive, but I need to hammer home right now. Two hours and twenty minutes is yeah. is ridiculous. It is ill-disciplined. It is unnecessary. Uh, this would have been, in my view, a brilliant ninety-minute story. The extra hour hurts this more than anything else yeah as i've been doing the the great journey i download like in batches of five and i see what's coming down the pipe and i'll see like two hours 20 two hours 20 two hours two hours 20 two hours 20 and i'll be like oh my god at least there's a two hour one in here there are a lot of awfully long big finish stories at the start of Big Finish, things get a lot better later on. And particularly when you get the box sets, you might have four stories that are an hour each or whatever. Uh, so I completely concur with you that it is too long. I am completely on board with you there. That's my opening gambit on length, at least. And, and generally, Rob, look, I mean, you picked this, you nominated this. I take it you're a fan? Yeah, look, when I first heard this and it started, I thought oh, this is going to be a funny one, you know, because you have these early scenes where they're going to execute Eugene Tacitus unless he recants. And they're like, you know, you must recant. And he's like, oh, well, then I I recant. (laughs) And they're like, okay, oh, very good. You know, just had to check, you know. (laughs) 
you know, and it's all very chummy. And it's a huge parody of scenes where people are asked to, to recant in a movie and they often refuse. And you think to yourself, well, what would happen if they turned around here in this scene and said, oh, uh, sure, I recant. Absolutely. I'll, I'll change religion or, you know, whatever's being asked of them. Yes. And you've got, you know, the wife who's quietly content with the husband's death and, and all that sort of thing. And he's very, very sort of black humor and fun. Yeah. And, and you know, like I say, here we see that sort of stuff happen and it makes a mockery of the whole process. You know, whether it's scenes like that in movies, whether it's religion as a whole, I think that's probably a big one. I quite liked that. And, of course, as it goes on, and people, we are going to talk spoilers in this episode. We haven't talked about the spoiler curtain. Let's bring the spoiler curtain down. As it goes on, it starts taking these darker turns until we realise what's actually happening. And I quite like that, too. It gave the story light and shade. To me, it's a very good story. But length, I'll go with you on length. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you that it does very, very effectively shift gears from under you and and that's a really good thing and you're right you start off thinking it's one thing and by the time you get to part three you're like this is this has gone in a whole different direction it's 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 pacier it's more exciting it's darker it's scarier and the levity's kind of slowly been turned down so that is a very Mm. effective piece of writing i totally agree it is of course a sixth doctor story i'm not sure how much sixth doctor big finish you've listened to colin got a hard deal on telly You've probably heard that he does well on Big Finish. What did you think of Colin? Look, I thought he was very good. I, I know that this is released in 2000, 2001, thereabouts. So mm. it's still quite early Colin Big Finish. He hasn't really gone off in all the, the wild places with a whole lot of new companions and stuff that people tell me he does. So so I, I don't think we're quite at the sort of the, the grand Big Finish Colin. But he was, he was very, very good. He's a natural audio performer and, and, and I thought his performance was, was, was well done he plays off Frobisher really well which is good to see I, I thought it was interesting his tone is very much season 23 Colin it, it's Terror of the Vervoids Colin it's Colin mm-hmm. you know a little bit world weary but a little bit fun and kind of you know you know excited and just sort of happy to you know get involved oh they're executing somebody oh this would be fun to watch you know you know it, it's it's that sort of Colin but it is also very Saywood Colin in that as I said he doesn't actually arrive in the story until the 20 minute mark he doesn't arrive at the location of the story for another little bit he then isn't really engaged in the story until part two and although he nudges a few things along he doesn't have a dramatic impact on the plot of the story either Mm. so that's very say with colin it is. You're quite right. And I, I hadn't actually had that thought, but all of what you say is true. I think Colin's very good in this, which is something that can be said for a ton of his big finish appearances. He's he's not nasty. He's a little bit pompous, but he's not up himself. Yep. And it comes across a hundred times better than when he was on the telly. As you say, by Vervoids, he's he's kind of got it down and he's, he's maybe more what his doctor should have been. Yeah. You know, here he genuinely wants to help people. He is, as many people say, what he could have been on TV with the right writing and direction. So I I quite like him uh, here. But you're right, he does get split up from Frobisher. And Frobisher probably gets one of the more interesting sort of storylines in this piece by being worshipped by the people in this castle. Yeah, so let's talk about Frobisher, both him and his plot strand. Rollby went first on Colin, you go first on the Penguin. Sure, I mean, Frobisher 
was this character in in the Doctor Who magazine comic strip when I was just getting into fandom. You know, this is like 1986. And I jumped into the magazine. I was like, oh, wow, look at this comic. You know, Colin isn't with Perry. He's with this penguin. Oh, but he's he's not just a penguin. Oh, he's a, he's a shapeshifter. He's a whiffadil. And I can't remember if I ever assigned a voice to him in my head. I really can't. Or if the comic even gave cues as to how he would talk. But he's got this kind of wise guy American accent. Not not a full-on, ah, you know, you dirty rat kind of wise guy. But he's, he's played by this Canadian called Robert Jizek. And I really like the performance and the voice he gives to Frobisher. As soon as I heard it, I thought, yep, that's Frobisher. You know, this character I was reading in comics, you know, 30-odd years ago, more than 30 years ago. I believe in him. I I think that is perfect. So I quite liked how they did Frobisher. Yeah, I was a big fan. I think he's probably one of the strengths, if not the strength, of the story. I do vaguely remember being about six and, and seeing um, Frobisher in some random Doctor Who magazine comics and being a bit baffled by it all, I must admit. Um, and, and, you know, you say, what voice did I assign him? I think that that private detective voice is probably where I went, but not necessarily a North American private detective. Uh, but, but it works so well. Look, he, he comes in, he works well with Colin from the get-go. They have a good relationship. Uh, Colin is friendly to him but also not quite on par with him all the time mm. which I think makes for a good companion dynamic he's funny uh, he's, he's you know got an eye for the ladies but he's also quite sensible and he's certainly very uh, very aware of his own self-preservation which is a unusual characteristic for a companion and probably a quite welcome one to see done uh, I, I thought the performance here was really good as I said I thought that his plot strand was a really interesting one and it I have to say, I was a bit disappointed, though, that by part four, he kind of disappeared from the narrative. I thought there was going to be a lot more of this idea of Frobisher becomes the, a, a god, you know, the, the emperor, a living god. And yeah. they, they get a couple of good scenes out of that, and they, they built the statue to him, and there's the bit where they trial the assassination because the doctors told them not to fake it this time. They actually genuinely try to assassinate Frobisher. You know, that that's very well done. <laughs> Um, but I kind of thought this was going to be a much bigger part of the story than what it was. And, and I must admit, I would have liked a little bit more of, you know, Frobisher, uh, you know, reforming society or maybe becoming a little bit corrupt or, you know, doing a few things the Doctor doesn't approve of and maybe starts to enjoy Godhood a little bit too much or maybe, you know, a little bit yeah. not enough. I, I, th- I thought that was a very strong plot strand that tapered out before it should have. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I'm just imagining, you know, Robert Sherman realizing, oh, I've got to get back to the main story here, and just he just got to has to, has to drop that, yeah, which is which is a shame because it is quite funny. And you know, just mentioning Sherman again, the sculptor in the scene where they're making the uh, the statue, that is actually Robert Sherman. Oh, okay, I didn't recognize him. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's something I didn't. It's not like I listened to it. I thought, ah, oh, I recognize <laughs> that voice. It's something I read afterwards too. So I'm not I'm not all knowing <laughs> by any means. <laughs> Uh, fair uh, enough. What stood out for you as far as the guest cast or the guest characters are concerned? Look, I think there's some really good voices in here. I mean, the guy who plays Childeric, Lord Childeric, I thought was Paul Darrow. I had to actually go and look it up, and it's not Paul Darrow. I had exactly the same thought. I was listening to it and going, I would have heard if Paul Darrow was in Big Finish. I'm sure I would have known, because uh, it is very Darrow-esque, yeah. 
super Darrow-esque. He's fantastic. But Sam Kelly, who plays both uh, Eugene Tacitus, the, the scribe, and also the child, obviously, with a little effect on his voice, um, I thought was just fabulous. I could sort of detect that the child was his voice when I was listening to it. And obviously that becomes a thing later on when the doctor asks the child, you know, to speak like the adults, you know, lower your voice and it morphs into much more of Eugene's voice. That's really spooky. And I think the way that uh, Sam Kelly sells it, that Eugene is just this bumbling scribe who, you know, I learned to write from my father and I must have a child somewhere, you know, and seems quite doddery at first. But as all the memories start coming back, and he realizes what he's done and the doctor sort of teases out that he had actually, you know, killed his child in real life. And here we are in this fantasy world where, you know, Eugene is not actually the hero or the god. He's like the scribe that's writing it. I thought, oh, this is very good. And I think Sam Kelly just knocks it out of the park. I completely believed in the character. Yeah, it's a very strong performance. And he does rise above the, the work and really, really adds the work in an effective way. I, I didn't pick he was voicing the child at the time, but once I knew that it was and I looked back, I, I did see how his speech patterns and intonations and and the, mm. and, and the way that you know, the way that he puts the rhythm to his sentences was the same, and that was a really good piece of acting to be able to do that. I think that his character is obviously fundamental to the story. It, it's the one in which the story turns, and, and he does hold it together, and he does make the twists work and and that sense of wondering what's going on you know what is this world how does it work what what is the twist that's going to happen what what are all these clues about was what kept me really into the episode i I was sitting there particularly in part two part three going okay i i know something's up here but is it this is it this the one thing i will criticize a little bit is the clue about all the Bibles going back for centuries being in yeah. his handwriting, I just thought was way too big a clue way too early. Because I'm like, okay, so he wrote them all. You know, the, the, mm. this guy's clearly you know, too much. And I thought that was probably a little bit too big. That, that's just me being you know, very, very critical. Um, and, and also, there's a big deal made about the fact that all the Bibles are exactly the right length of notepad for all the emperor gods. And I don't think yes. that kind of went anywhere, or, or did I miss something there? It's just that it, I guess it was a construct, and that the story, for want of a better term, would end. You know, so, so when when he noticed he was getting to the end of a notebook, the world sensed that in his mind and, and adapted the world to meet that. Is I guess what we're saying? Possibly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Possibly. Okay. No, yeah. no, that 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 makes sense. I'll go with that. But yeah, look, he he made he made the. The denouement work, and I won't go any further on that because I think we will talk about that towards the end. So, uh, look, he was he was a big strength of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, outside of Eugene Tacitus and Lord Childeric, you have some. They're kind of more bit parts, like the Empress and and so on. Yeah, and it's one of the disadvantages I think of the Big Finish range is that sometimes they do fall very quickly into characters pulled off the shelf and, and in this mm. case we did have like this this guy is a nice slightly silly upper class twit so we're going to give him that voice and this woman is a skimming young woman so she gets skimming young woman voice and this mm. woman's a skimming old woman so she gets skimming old woman voice and it was very <laughs> it was kind of very obvious like that's that character and they sound like this and you know any big finish you listen to a character like that will sound like that 
And possibly played by the same person. And probably played by the same person. Absolutely. And that, that is something I have noticed about Big Finish as a casual person. You sort of you go in and go, oh, there's that character, you know, with that voice. Okay. And, and I think that they are very um, by numbers sometimes. And uh, look, all of these people were very good. But outside of, as you said, uh, the Paul Darrow sounding character and Eugene... I thought there was a lot, oh, and Frobisher and the Doctor, obviously, there was a lot of just sort of like generic uh, character. Yeah. The story is very dark. At least it gets very dark. Starts off quite funny. But when it starts to turn, were you uh, surprised by how dark it got? Like when the, the child wants to just start killing people, he, he just starts killing people. I was surprised at how well it was done. I, I wasn't surprised that it happened. I think. I've watched and listened to enough science fiction over the last 40 years that I I know that if a five-year-old child with a British accent turns up, they're going to start killing people. That's just how science fiction works. Um, Mm. but, but, But again... Even though I was expecting, I was like, oh, at some point you're going to turn on Julderick and, and you're going to kill him. It's like, well, yeah. no, 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 they've done it in quite a spooky, atmospheric way. So uh, even though I was expecting it, it, it was done well. Kudos to them for it. Yeah. Let's leap forward a bit to the, the elephant in the room because I really want to talk about it. And that's this this world that they're in. Yes. I've not done a lot of outside reading on on the story, but I would like to think a lot of people out there would see similarities in Heaven Sent to this, insofar as that you have a man trapped in a castle enduring horrible things over and over and over and over again. I I think it's incredibly confession dial-like. And in fact, there is a bit which still confuses me, and you might have thoughts on this, but hopefully readers can jump in as well, where... I think Frobisher asks what it would look like from the outside or something. And Colin says it would look like a a big blue box. And I thought, is he saying it would look like a TARDIS? Is this Time Lord technology? Is Tacitus meant to be a Time Lord? Or am I just projecting too much from shows like Heaven Sent, which have come much later onto it? Because there are these similarities. And I couldn't make head nor tail of Colin saying it would look like a big blue box. It's interesting. One of the just things about an audio drama is obviously it leaves the listener to construct things in their mind, sets and worlds and and what people look like and all the rest of it. I certainly thought the world building in terms of setting up the culture and the systems and the processes was very, very good. And they had some really good and clever examples like the staged fake assassination to prove that this guy's immortal. Uh, you know, that, that, that stood out as a really clever way to establish how this world works and, and how the, you know, the, the wives work and all the rest of it I thought was very, very good. And quite funny too. Yeah, it was, it was funny and enjoyable while still, whilst, whilst allowing you to go, okay, so I, I, I get how this world works. Um, What I struggled a bit with was I I had to adapt my mind's eye image of the physical world as the story went on. Because when it first started and they've got big crowd scenes with open sort of things, I was imagining a big outdoors area with with big fields and crowds and flags and and, and a village and, you know, a castle with a a balcony that they're all sort of, you know, parading over and all the rest of it. And as it sort of went on, I'm like, oh, I actually know that they're all inside. They're all in sort of a big, like 
in inside sort of mm. town square inside a castle and 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 the imagery that i did have at that stage was very uh heaven sent you know that sort of that brickwork and that darkness and all the rest of it 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 did go there but i i did find that i I needed to adjust my perception of the world as i learned more about it now whether that's just my um lack of paying attention to the right bits or or, or the script didn't quite do that i I, i'm not sure but i I, yeah i did find that and that's a just i guess a natural part of an audio drama Mm, i think that's very fair i think until you get more clues you can't sort of hone it down to what it actually is yeah because what it actually is you know i think it's very late in the piece where someone says something about the world outside and it's like well the world outside what there there is no world outside it's just the castle yeah yeah and it's like oh that's that that's like when the penny dropped for me that might be in like the third episode or something maybe even the fourth episode yeah 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 so I, i i hear what you're saying there um, so look, a couple of just random thoughts. There were some very nice little witty bits of writing in there. Um, there was definitely some allusions to other um, cult television. Uh, one of the characters is named Sejanus out of I, Claudius. There are allusions to the character of Katasia from Babylon 5, which would have been, you know, right in its prime at the stage this was written. And indeed, at one mm. stage, somebody does refer to a shining beacon of hope, which is straight <laughs> out of the Babylon 5 opening dialogue. Um, that was good. Um, big praise for the cliffhangers. They were all really good and really engaging. And for an audio drama, they sold, you know, the dr- dramatic nature of them very, very well. And Colin particularly, he's, you know, look, he's a, he's a star cliffhanger actor and he, he does it very well. Uh, I really was engaged by the idea of, you know, everything being faked and how much everybody was in on it. And look, I will just make the the comment that these early big finishes especially are not just overwritten, not just overlong, but, but are still learning the skill of how do you paint a world in audio. Mm. And it was still for, particularly in the first part of a lot of very clunky lines, you know, Who's that over there? Oh, why? It's an old man. He looks very old. Or, you know, what are you doing? I'm just putting my spectacles on. I'm doing it very slowly. Like Literally, that's not an exaggeration. And and I, mm. I sort of thought, look, I, I know that they get better at that. But even at this stage, there's some very clunky dialogue sort of building those up there. They're the only little points I have before we talk about the, the conclusion. Uh, anything from you, Rob, before we go there? Oh, I'd like to say something about, you know, how this is a commentary on not just religion, but but systems and bureaucracy in some ways. You know, I think there's some great commentary on bureaucracy. Mm. Something had to be signed off in triplicate and on different colored pieces of paper and all of this sort of stuff. It, It was like there was a Douglas Adams video game called Bureaucracy. It reminded me of that in places. You know, the writing kind of felt a little Adamsy at times. Not completely Adamsy, but a little Adamsy, a little funny. And the bureaucracy moments really reminded me of Bureaucracy, the video game. Yeah, look, I, th- I think it's really interesting. I think the way that it commented on the way that systems develop and just start to occur because they've always occurred is really interesting. And if I can compare it to an example from real life this week, in fact, yeah. a- anybody who's particularly in Australia would know that you go back to the 70s and 80s when we had the old Parliament House, there was a thing called doors where as the politicians, including the Prime Minister back in those days, would walk up to the front door of Parliament, journos would be there with a microphone and say, do you have any comment on? And they'll, they'll do a quick sort of doorstop press conference. That has sort of evolved over time to when I first started working um, at the Australian Parliament, 
doors is now a thing where a camera is set up and some MPs will literally arrive, go into their office, put their tie and do their hair and then go back out to go and speak to the camera at doors to do doors. <laughs> yes. And because of COVID and we can't sort of do all this stuff now, they've set up a big sort of isolated um, microphone and camera in the mural hall in the middle of the second floor, which is nowhere near, it's about as far from a door as you can physically get in the building. <laughs> and um, and as my, my, my boss actually had to do this um, yesterday and as we were walking up there, you know, he sort of said, you know, give it five years, there are going to be people who are going to be calling this thing doors and wondering why we do that because it's nowhere near a door, but we'll just keep doing it because that's what we've always done. And and, and yes. so this is this is a real commentary. This is exactly what, what the episode was talking about. Precisely right. Yeah, good observation, actually. So, Rob, you asked me to go first on the climax. Having praised a lot in this story, I am not going to praise the climax. Uh, I had a couple of problems with it. The first was that the Doctor was less involved than I thought he should be. Uh, the second was that Frobisher wasn't involved at all, which was a shame, because I enjoyed his subplot mm-hmm. and I enjoyed his character. I thought it was very talky. There was a lot of, I'm now doing this, I'm now stopping this, he's doing that, he's doing that. It was sort of like just a very talky sort of thing, and there was, there was lots of just explaining the plot to each other like I did this and then I did this and this happened because this happened and look I get Mm. it's an audio but I was let down by that and particularly given that I've praised and really enjoyed all these clues and all this world building and I'm wondering who's in on the deception and who's not and all the rest of it and then for a kind of none of that to actually be relevant and it was just all about this one guy uh, look, look, that's yeah. an interesting bit of drama, and I get the drama of this whole world is actually just about this kind of broken, sad man, but I did think having done so much that I've enjoyed... In, in, look, let me put it this way. The things that I enjoyed most about the story were irrelevant to the ending, and that was a shame for me. I, I hear what you're saying. I think that's that's very fair. Uh it does get talky towards the end. I, I think they're just trying to explain how the child is turning the knife back on Eugene. And the and I think the Doctor and Frobisher is like saying, no, no, don't do it. Don't do yeah. it. And I'm thinking, why don't they just grab... It's, it's just a little child. Why don't they grab the knife? Why don't they grab the child? And I think one of them says, I'm, I'm trying to grab the knife, but my hand is going straight through them. Look at that. And it's another <laughs> example of exposition. But at least it was, explained, it was explaining the question that was in my head. Like, why aren't you just grabbing this kid? You know, he can't be that big. You know, there's, an, there's a line earlier in the story where Colin's like, you know, I, I can just run away from you. I've just run up these stairs because you've got tiny, short, little legs sort of thing. So clearly what we're meant to be imagining is, is a child who's not very big or capable. And yet we're meant to be thinking that he's doing this murder of Eugene. I, I thought that was, you know, a necessary bit of exposition to have. But in general, yeah, there, there is a rug pull for almost three episodes. You're Im- imagining this world and this weird structure and, you know, they believe in things just because they've always believed in these things and, and stuff. And then the big rug pull is that it's just Eugene's world and that he is actually mad and killed his kid. Yeah. And, 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 and it gets very bloody dark. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good way of putting it, Rob. And, and I think, you know, rug pulls when they work for you, are, are a wonderful dramatic device. And I think there will be people listening to this going, what do you mean, Dave? This was a wonderful, like, surprise and a rug pull and it twisted yeah. the whole story. And, and, and that's fine. If it landed for you, that that's great. I, I totally get why it would, but it pulled out from under me the bits I really liked, and, and that was a shame. 
Yeah. Well, look, I, I went with the rug pull, but I can totally see why you would feel that yeah. way. Absolutely. Oh, I'm glad you did. You've invested a lot over three episodes. Over two and a half hours nearly. Come on. Yeah. No, I'm both pleased, but but, but genuinely interested that, yeah, it, it did land so differently for the two of us. Look, we've had some listeners write in about the story. Should we get on to their thoughts? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, the first one is from Alex Wilcock. He's at Alex Wilcock on Twitter, uh, except here he's emailed us. So, hello, Alex. He says, hello, just saw What's Up Next. And as it's an especial favourite of mine, which I really ought to listen to again as it's been a while, the lying blasphemer speaks the truth, your majesty. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely superb. Still one of the best things Big Finish have done. Maybe only Rob's own Jubilee beats it for me. And this TARDIS team just sings. Both Colin and Robert are so good, and I wish we'd had more of them together. But it's a terrific cast all round. Sam Kelly really is the pivot around which this slides from hilarious to heartrendingly horrifying. But most of all, Roberta Taylor is Berengaria. She is the perfect proper sixy-era guest star as a big soap name star that people would say stunt casting before they heard it and, oh, wow, afterwards. Now, I'll pause there and say... I don't recognise her name at all, but obviously in the UK she must be a, a soapy type Yeah, person. no, it went over my head as well, I'm afraid. Yeah. Since I was a very small boy, first watching Doctor Who, existential crises and warped religion have really done it for me, and this is one of the finest ever told for both. It also feels like part of a theme between Castrovalva and the Pandorica Opens, where Doctor Who explicitly plays with writers and creations, though unlike Moffat's underlying aren't writers the loveliest things in the universe, the message here is writers are utter bastards. (laughs) Almost anything you can say about this is a spoiler but as i assume you're going to go into details you could give it an alternate title from infamous advice to writers kill your babies and speaking of moffat this is very much a confession dial in a castle and over again for just one man but on the upside with a very different crucial bird while on the downside no way out love and liberty from alex that's a really good summation there alex and uh Again, some things that we agreed on and some things that landed a bit differently for you as well, which is, is, is good. Yeah, and that confession dial thing came up again as well, which I see absolutely in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have an email from Will Sanger. Thank you for writing in, Will. He writes, Hi, Robin Dave. Enjoyed your episode on cool Doctor Who spaceships and thought you had some great picks but I'm really glad to see you diving into Big Finish. The last few years, as the series itself has, in my opinion, been declining during the Jodie Whittaker era, and my own enjoyment of the show declining in the current era, I have managed to find a lot of enjoyment in the show elsewhere, with Big Finish producing some better quality storytelling, in my view. The older Big Finish stories are definitely the better stories, with more creativity and risks being taken and with more routes available to explore new stories. Whereas now it can feel like they are scrambling for new stories to tell, especially with the Eighth Doctor when there is so much they've done with his character. However, even if they aren't as strong, I still find a huge amount of immense excitement from the modern Big Finish releases. I'm really glad the Holy Terror got picked, as it's one of my favourite Big Finish stories. Rob Shearman, for me, is one of the best ever Doctor Who writers, up there with Robert Holmes, Terence Dix, Malcolm Hulk, Stephen Moffat, and Paul Cornell. That's some that's wow. some august company, but yeah, look, look yeah. he's a good writer. Yeah, I can't, can't disagree. 
The way the Holy Terror explores the societal consequences of religious extremism is very powerful with a society that follows traditional rituals of death and conflict with complete obedience to one leader and nobody ever questions their beliefs or truly understands the nature of free will. Furthermore, nobody really believes in the faith anymore, but they follow the rituals out of tradition and fear regardless. It's a very well-structured and thematically powerful story and script, and is, in my opinion, a great story. Plus, the bonkers nature of Frobisher as a companion and concept is just fun and has one of my favourite Sixth Doctor quotes, It doesn't matter who the cruelty is directed towards, the cruelty itself is wrong. Keep up the good work, Will Sanger. Will, I agree with everything you said there about the society and what was going on. It's a shame the resolution you, you wasn't about that. You wanted that to be real. I wanted that to be real. And I wanted that to be what the denouement was about. Um, and that, that's yeah. probably my biggest problem with the story. Interesting. And finally, a quick tweet from uh, our good friend Rob Kelly at Rob Kelly Tweets. I listened to this in preparation for the Doctor Who show's review. I wouldn't say it was the best Big Finish story ever made, but I really enjoyed it. It had an excellent score and many good moments. Colin Baker is amazing in everything he does for Doctor Who. Nothing I disagree with there. Thank you, Rob. Fantastic. So that's our that's our say on the Holy Terror. We, we rattled through those uh, two and a bit hours uh, pretty quick. We, we did. So the final question before we go to our wrap-up of the episode overall is... Rob, where does this leave you and Big Finish? And I guess we kind of know the answer because you're on a great journey. Yeah, I'm on the great journey. So I've rattled past this, you know, 10, 20, maybe more, you know, uh, releases ago. I'm continuing on. I want to get to 275. I'll be doing my regular little posts on policebox.net. I'll pop up on the Sirens of Audio uh, video vlog uh, from time to time. (laughs) I want to do this. It's something that's out there. It's something that I think is, on the whole, enjoyable. There are some duff stories. I said uh, after the first 10, Big Finish goes on a tear. But I've I've now got into in, in between 40 and 50 um, stories that I think are, hmm, yeah, that wasn't so good either. So it's swings and roundabouts. But I want to do it. And so I'm going to do it. <laughs> and that's all there is to it. Look, fair enough. Uh, I haven't been inspired to go into the great journey of several hundred big finishes. That's not going to happen. <laughs> but it has reminded me that there is a lot out there that I do need to give a go to. Um, and, and I know that the, our friends over at the Sirens of Audio podcast have done a couple of really good episodes about good points to jump on or good sample stories to do. And, and I might look at a couple of their recommendations. But I do want to dip in and go, okay, where did the Tom stories go? Let's look at a couple of later Colin Bakers. Something like The Last Adventure, I'm really curious to do. Um, I need to listen to some McGann. I'm going to drop into some McGann at some point. I'm going to, you know, see where some of these things go. So my mission over the next sort of six to eight months is to do a, a, a broader sampling of Big Finish. Uh, listeners, if you have any recommendations, email us or tweet us and I'll I'll do that. And maybe we will reassemble Robin sometime in early 2022 and just talk about where your great journey went and where my sampling journey went. Mm, I think that's that's very worthwhile because while we, we make the odd joke about Big Finish, you know, especially when they take, you know, oh, there's a character who was second from the left, you know, <laughs> in one story in 1967. We're doing a box set on them. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm over-egging the pudding there, but you know what I mean. You know, we make fun of stuff like that, but there is some genuinely, genuinely good stuff in Big Finish. There is. Absolutely. 
So, wrapping up the episode, Dave, we have another listener email here. This one's from John Shaw. I'll rattle through it nice and quick. He says, Hi, Robin, Dave. I'm loving the top fives. In keeping with the short format, here are a few words from me. A mention for Douglas Adams in the top five ships? Result! As for the top five effects, I'm sure you gents would have had the Merka, Warriors from the Deep, and the T-Rex from Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Just not sure who would have nominated which. Quick word about next month, Rob. You are not allowed to say the five doctors five times. <laughs> Cheers again, lads. That's obviously our, um, our, our top 580 story. So uh, we'll see if the five doctors gets a nod. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, mm, I can't say anything. No, no, because uh, no, no, we'll, we'll stop. Yes. Tune, let's tune, stop in, there. tune in and find out. And, and thank you to everybody who has uh, emailed or tweeted us about our mini casts. You know, we do enjoy doing those as little side projects. Yeah, list makers and uh, primary sources. That's right. Moving on, what are we watching? What are you watching, Dave? Well, as I've said, I've had a lot of time to watch quite a few things. So, look, I'll run through a couple of things I wanted to mention. I did do a rewatch. I don't know what inspired this, but I did do a rewatch of the Edward and Mrs. Simpson miniseries, which was directed by Doctor Who's own Boris Hussein. And, in fact, co-stars Patrick Troughton as Clement Attlee in the latter episodes Uh, and that was a really enjoyable watch and and it is a good piece of drama it's it's one of those historical dramas where you're like we know he abdicates and marries Wallace so um, (laughs) it's still dramatic to watch so so that's quite good Um, I have started the journey through Star Wars Rebels after catching up with a few of uh, uh, my uh, friends I met through fandom and, and hi to Mark and uh, Mike if you're listening um, I know at least one of you does having caught up with them at the pub and talking about Star Wars and they said oh you know you really need to check out Clone Wars and Rebels you know they, there's some really good stuff in there and you know Thrawn's in it and all the rest of it and I thought okay look you know I will and I started watching Star Wars Rebels I'm a bit into the second season and look I haven't been blown away by it but it's been very enjoyable watching it's very easy watching uh, I'm told that it ramps up as we go on um, I'm not watching series two straight away I don't want to binge four seasons in one go and have it just be a yeah. great big mishmash but, but I will keep going so that's been interesting I have started Loki I've watched the first two episodes I'm really enjoying that and we'll comment more when uh, the yeah. series is done and I, I also binged watched Clarkson's Farm with uh, Jeremy Clarkson and look some people love Jeremy Clarkson some people can't stand him that's fine but this was a really entertaining series for those who aren't aware the premise is that Jeremy Clarkson basically decides to run the farm that he's owned for 10 years and uh, it's very entertaining it's very funny but genuinely informative about what goes on in farming in the UK and these communities and everything and yeah that was a, a really big fun watch but look the main thing's been the trout and stuff that i spoke about earlier um and this is unusual for me to have lots of what we're watching rob what have you been watching well i want to watch clarkson's farm but so does my wife so i'm sort of hamstrung until she's free to watch <laughs> it until i can watch it because she'll go nuts if i just start watching it on my own <laughs> but uh, putting that aside i've almost finished the 2021 series of harrow which is an abc show out here starring Yoan griffith who, of course, was Hornblower on TV. He was in uh, one of the Fantastic Four movies uh, back in the day. I, I quite like Yoan Griffith. Harrow is... Uh, have you ever seen Harrow yourself? Dave? No, I've seen the ads, but I've never caught it. Okay, yeah, he works for the coroner's office in Brisbane, and he investigates the, the murders and, you know, bodies get brought in and he gets intrigued and goes out and sort of investigates and sometimes the police help him and sometimes he's a bit of a hindrance to the police it's it's a very good series i don't know if it's ever done anything in the uk you know because i think yo and griffith is is 
probably better known in the UK than he is oh, here. I thought, I thought so, it would yeah. have been a, a walk-up start for them to show Harrow in the UK, but I've never heard a single UK mate say, oh, this Harrow, you know, series is pretty good. That's set in Brisbane, you know, looks looks like a fun town, you know. Never heard anything like that. Very strange. Showing my state of mind at other times, I've also watched uh, Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, uh, on Netflix, which was very harrowing, but very, very interesting. And I also watched The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness, which is the Son of Sam killer. And a guy in the US concluded that there was more than one person doing the murders. And he actually even got to talk to this guy in jail. And the guy said, yeah, there, there was. Um, you know, you can tell people, but they'll never believe you. And at the end of it, you still don't know if he's being played by the serial killer in question. I'm not going to name him because it's not, you know, I don't want to give him any publicity, <laughs> any extra publicity. Mm-hmm. But you just you just wonder, is this like a sort of a, a conspiracy theory that this guy's chasing or is it, could it have been real? Very interesting. Uh, and finally, I watched Stein's Gate, which is this extremely Moffat-esque anime, um, which is all about the nature of time travel and unraveling things that have already been done and are things fixed points and i don't really want to go into too much detail it's a 25 part series and i've got to say the first 12 parts weren't to my taste at all it was very jokey very silly and it didn't get going until literally the 12th episode then it was like that's amazing and then it was a really good series so it's kind of hard for me to recommend it to people because you've actually got to slog through 12 episodes before it gets any good (laughs) but if you're into Moffaty, timey, wimey time travel stuff, you may just like it. There's even Doctor Who references in it, which I found quite funny. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah, it was made around 2011, so Doctor Who would have been white hot at the time. Fair enough. That's really interesting. So that's our yeah. episode for June. Rob, what have we got planned for July? <laughs> well, Dave, next month, to be determined by vote, because we are very democratic about these things, we want to do a modern series deep dive. I'm going to pick two series here. You're going to pick two. If we both pick the same series or double up, then we might just have three to vote on or two to vote on. Who knows? I don't think we'll double up, though, Dave. <sighs> Which one of us is going to reveal our picks first? No, you go go ahead because I know you're very excited about this one. All right. My picks are from the middle of two different Doctor's eras. So I'm going with the middle of Smithy's era, series six. And I'm going with the middle of Capaldi's era, series nine. Uh, well, we are going to have four choices. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I have gone with series two. Yeah. And okay. I've also gone with a Smith choice, series 7A. Oh, oh, that's a nice short one. <laughs> it, 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 it is. Uh, so look, I've gone with um, a tenant one that I think I'm due to give a bit of a reevaluation to. So I'm keen to look back at. And season 7A is the season that started to get me back into Doctor Who after falling out with uh, the Smith era. So I uh, am very curious to see what that is like, just in its own right, divorced from uh, everything that was going on with my fandom experience at the time. So Series 2, Series 6, Series 7A, and Series 9. Listeners, over to you. Yep, a day or so after this podcast goes out, once we've, we've plugged the podcast enough, we will... Put that vote up for a week, and we would love to hear from you. Retweet it. Get get onto your friends. Tell them to vote. We love getting loads of <laughs> votes and seeing, you know, you, my picks and your picks surging ahead, dropping back. It's such fun over that week, and we have no idea what we'll end up doing. 
No, I generally don't know where the vote's going to go on this one, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. But I think we're done. We are done, Dave. So until next you hear from us. Until then, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we'll speak again very soon. We will. Bye now. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>